Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Blokeology, evidence-based health, fitness and lifestyle for men. I am Dr. Ewan Lawson and uh, show notes for today's episode can be found at blokeology.io forward slash 027. If you're new to the show, then welcome. The Blokeology podcast is all about using evidence to help us get a little fitter, stay a little healthier, improve the quality of our lives. Uh, It might be addressing, addressing our lifestyles or thinking about other healthy behaviours and how we interact with the world. Uh, We've got interviews, and uh, we've got one today, but I also cover uh, some evidence in depth, um, and just on my own, and sometimes chatting to others as well. And now, if you're already familiar with the show, then you should know that we've got a little run of interviews that are coming up. And if you want to get a little more involved, then I do send out a regular newsletter with evidence-based tips as well. And you can sign up for that at blockology.io forward slash journal. So as I mentioned, I've got an interview today with Peter Francis and um, Peter is a successful sports scientist. He's lead for musculoskeletal science at Leeds Beckett University. And I first came across him when he published an interesting article on the conversation website, which was all about children running barefoot. Uh, And there's a link in the show notes for that. We do talk about barefoot running, but uh, we also cover a lot of other things beside Peter's got some incredible experience and understanding and knowledge of the physiology and the processes that go on when it comes to managing injury. And he's got his very, he's very much got his own personal process for that as well. He put himself through an absolutely incredible regime of calf strengthening exercises. Uh, and as I mentioned, we do talk about barefoot running and Peter's, I'm not quite sure if you say he was an advocate for it. He does tend to barefoot run himself, but it's part of his program. And he's got a really good insight and sensible approach to that, which is based in the evidence and I think you'd get a lot out of it. So we also talk about his general approach to pain, his attitude to consistency in particular, uh, and how you manage the mental approach, the behavioral psychology. Uh, he covers a lot of this in more depth as well on his blog, peterfrancis.blog. And again, that link is in the show notes. So we cover a lot of ground here, some really fascinating stuff. The first thing I did, though, was ask him about his own experience as a runner and where it all started for him. I suppose I was quite lucky, really, that I... Um... I started running when I was about 15 um, and I became um, fascinated by how the human body was uh, able to change and adapt. And so um, from that point, really, it became a pretty straightforward decision to to study sports science. Um, I was looking at a few other things, sports journalism, physiotherapy, etc. But I was quite lucky. I I had a teacher at school who who said, if it was just a course of interest, uh, what would you do? And I said, oh, that's easy. I do sports science. And he said, well, take all those other things off your list and um, and put that at the top. And yeah. I said, okay, well, I said, what about jobs and this and that? And he said, well, it doesn't matter, he said, because um, a guy with your um, passion and interest for this means you're going to make it anyway. You're going to be fine. Um, so I just said, okay, fine. Off I did, went to Limerick. Um, and did a four-year um, sports science degree and, and ate it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Loved it. Um, and um, within that four years, you do an eight-month, the system in Ireland, and in, in, certainly in Limerick, is that you do an eight-month um, work placement in your third year. So um, I was uh, fortunate enough to get into uh, the physiology department of the Irish Institute of Sport and uh, work with the physiologists there. And... Um, in some ways, that's still a, a link I have to this to this day, and and that's how kind of that started. I started to work with um, 
high performance athletes, if you like. I then um, finished my degree and I had three options. I had um, applied for an internship at the Australian Institute of Sport in Physiology um, and made the last three but didn't, didn't, didn't get there. And I had applied for a PhD funding and didn't get that. And then I had uh, a plan C was to teach English in the Middle East for a year. Um, <laughs> and that was the only one I got. So off I went to um, Qatar and I did a year out there. And at the end of that year, my old professor at Limerick had just got a, um, some money together for, uh, for a study. And um, as a result of that, I ended up, uh, getting an opportunity to come home and to do um, a PhD. And the PhD, as you know, is in the age-related changes in, in muscle quality. Um, but at the same time, I, um, been a bit of a glutton for punishment, decided I would do a undergraduate physical therapy degree on the weekends. So I was full-time PhD researcher, right. and I was doing this other degree on the on the weekends. I did those two things together um, for the first two years, and then I I took a year out of the physical therapy to break the back of the PhD, not to kind of lower the the quality of my efforts in in relation to the physical therapy. I then um, got all of that um, side of things done, and I took a lecturing job at Plymouth, which then necessitated that I fly over and back to Dublin for um, a year to finish off this uh, this yeah. other degree. I when I then had all those degrees finished i then um came to leeds in in 2014 which is where i've been um since so that's the kind of academic journey the the running journey is kind of following this in tandem basically so um i run for the first couple of years i improve a lot uh, i enjoy it because you have that sort of purpose and direction and that discipline that comes from engaging in a sport like that you feel good you look good you're a teenager so your confidence starts to come up as you're doing it and then i i um basically chronically um overtrained because i didn't know any better and um ended up sick and injured and um would kind of go through that cycle for the guts of nearly 10 years um and i had largely really given up on running as such um I'd say around 2015, I did a couple of half Ironmans and stuff like that. Um, and then um, through my practice with, on training camps with athletes and through my work and my, my talks and my research and stuff, I kind of um, I began to see a sort of um, like a color picture. So you, you, you learn everything in isolation, you know, you, you kind of you learn your physiology and you learn your strength and conditioning and you learn your coaching badges and you know, all this and you have all these things that you're doing along the way. But then. With, with with the time course and with yeah just with time basically the the sort of the some of those things eventually um comes together or did for me at least and and i began to kind of see how it all started to fit together and uh, that's when i decided i would have an undergo at running myself and um and thankfully i've been able to to do that and to do all right um so um so that's then what kind of developed the idea around the blog, because what I felt was I had this combined knowledge now that was actually of some practical use, and I wanted to um, try and get it out there. Um, and so I started the blog when I was on a sabbatical in New Zealand, and I've kept that going. Um, in the background, I'm working on a book um, which, will, which will draw together many of the concepts in the blog into uh into a sort of a why you runners get injured um uh book 
Um, Fantastic. Uh, yeah. So then in Leeds, then our, our research is, is I use my background in muscle measurement, um, but we apply it to sort of musculoskeletal health and injury in, in different groups. And obviously, from my perspective, um, the big one that we're really developing and pushing now is around is around running injury and um, the use or, or lack of use of, of shoes, etc. Yeah. Oh gosh! Well, there, uh, thanks. Well, that's absolutely it's an amazing story, and I, I think you've been through the journey probably very quickly. And most people, oh, the fact you've been through it at all—that coming back to running and working out how all things fit together—yeah, um, it's perhaps something that took me until I was about forty um, <laughs> to get anywhere near. So you're well ahead of me in that, and, and I, I count myself lucky that it happened at all because I think a lot of blokes it just doesn't—it never comes yeah. together, and they never get that kind of exercise and how it fits with their life yeah. and all that other thing. It never quite works out. And, Injury is yeah. a big part. Injury is a big part of that, and overuse injury, particularly. You know, we all know the kind of the evidence of runners getting injured, and the numbers are quite high. But they're particularly high in novice runners. Yeah, and it's a it's a barrier to entry to the sport. And if you if people have described different journeys, you know, sometimes you I, I never ran when I was little, when I was a teenager, rather I should say, and I found it later, more like when I was twenty. Um, but some people have had it as when they were in their sort of during their school years and have kept it going. Others have had that and dropped. Everyone's a wee bit different. But that injury yeah. often, that o- injury or that overtraining thing often is a, um, it's often a significant factor for a lot of people. Yeah, it is. And um, I suppose, you know, speaking about learning those things in isolation, the the glue between it all I've I've come to realize is very much behavioral psychology. So yeah. it, 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 it's fine understanding that, um, a change in in load um, will expose you to an overuse injury, and you can read that in any Runner's World magazine, and and you can hear it off any coach. Um, but until you tap into what makes that person um, overtrain, then it, it becomes difficult. And so you've you've got to kind of look at that, but then also look at solutions to that. So, in other words, how can you how can you help the athlete get the same reward and sense of mastery without um overdoing the running you know yeah. so that's that's where then all cross training and all these other things come in as well. yeah yeah so we'll, we'll talk a wee bit about the strategies that people can adopt to try to get there yeah. I, i'm absolutely on the same page as you about and i have increasingly as i've over the years and I, actually it's not just about running and overuse injuries it, i've increasingly come to the conclusion in the practice of medicine that behavioral psychology and those yeah. elements are perhaps more important than just about yes. anything and about me wishes that I that I studied psychology in some ways the longer I the longer I go on. <laughs> <laughs> a, yeah, I, I know and I've, I've got a, the book sitting on my desk at the moment is heuristic and heuristics and biases or something it's a like yeah. I've li- lifted out of the university library. And yeah. those the kind of the fallacies and the psychological yeah. you know the way the brain just cons you constantly. Yeah. Is yeah, an, yeah. I think an absolutely key part of all this and a kind of yeah. that kind of how you how you approach injury how you avoid injury how you manage it. So uh, yeah. out of interest how kind of what made you overtrain? What was the, what what was happening to you at that time? Um, I think what happens is um, you your norms are based on whatever you're exposed to. So um, we were coming through a club and and we had coaches who'd been internationals and back in the day and and had had lots of stories of big miles. And so you what what happens is when you first start to do the big miles is you can you can tolerate them and you improve very fast because when you go from doing nothing to something you you automatically improve but then of course as you say your brain is conning you right so it starts to it's 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 associative so it starts to say well you did that training and you got that result and what that means is 
you're held to ransom then because because for the next x number of years you keep trying to return to the training that gave you the performance but what you don't realize is that the training that gave you the performance also gave you the injury <laughs> so 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 then it becomes a thing that nothing else will do only the big training that you did before and so you spend a lot of time actually trying to hit that the other thing as well is that you're surrounded by a load of different people who who are on all sorts of different journeys and some of them maybe are better equipped to um handle a certain form of training or a type of training at whatever stage they're at and so then that becomes mm. another reference point so you end up with two reference points what you used to be able to do and what everybody else is is doing and then um as i say you kind of held to ransom by both of those things um and until you can let all of that go and sort of uh, focus on what needs to be done now um, and how far you can run now um, and kind of almost forget everything that's gone before, um, you can't really move forward, you know. Yeah, that must be. I mean, you were competing at pretty high level as well, weren't you, in, in those late late teenage years, I think you say on your blog. Yeah. Yeah. And that must make it particularly, I mean, it has its own challenges. If you're a new guy in his 40s, he's coming to running, who's never done it before, obviously, you, you've got a very different set of references and values around that. But equally, if you've been used to competing at a high level, and, yeah. you, and, and I don't think this is quite the case with you, but you were then left it alone for 20 years. Obviously, yeah. that's not the case with you. But, you know, the year you then came back to it in your 40s and your 50s, it would be, you know, that's, that, that creates an instant challenge. So you can see how the, everybody's story feeds into this. Yeah. And yeah. One of the things I've talked about, and I don't think this is not a psychological theory, but it's one that I'm not sure what is the comparisonitis side of things that you're and also if you're with a group of people who are used to doing a certain amount as you yeah. say they're a different journey sometimes they're just yeah. biomechanically and physiologically different to you yeah uh, you know that and that you're doing the same thing as them leads you into difficulty very quickly yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah so um one of the things one of the messages that you've got in your blog and i think it's across the strap line and i kind of um really chimed with me is because it's my probably single message is fitness is about consistency yeah um is that actually the number one thing for anybody getting fitter is about being consistent and i, I wondered yeah. what had brought you to that kind of conclusion and uh, kind of judgment yourself I, th I think um when you kind of go back to forgetting everything that you did before and and trying to um focus on what you you need to do now is you 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 arrive at a certain minimal threshold where you say to yourself well what if i could just do this much but repeated for eight weeks and i wonder where that would take me and that's kind of how it started out i said to myself well let's just try this much but let's be really disciplined um not to do more but just to do the same for eight weeks and see where it takes you and of course mm. um it took me to a pb and then that becomes um mm. when you get a positive effective response then that becomes kind of self-reinforcing and so <laughs> you then you then start to um, buy in again. That's one of the difficulties, actually, when you're going through the injury years is, is because of the investment and, and, then, and then the lack of reward because you're getting injured, um, what you start doing is investing a bit less. And so when you're investing a bit less, you <laughs> therefore don't get what you want out. So it becomes a kind of a, a yeah. vicious... Um, sort of cycle but i think in general i think with consistency is that um i've come to realize that everything meaningful um in your life every goal you have that's really profound that's really worth chasing um requires doing basic things um repeatedly over a long period of time um and and there's little 
there is little um, in the way of high achievement that comes from from short term um, pursuits. Um, and so, you know, I'm just even reflecting at the moment in terms of I'm in, I'm in the middle of a, of, a, of a training block hoping to to go for another PB. And what I find these days is I'm more and more proud of of my ability to put up with the boredom um, associated with this. And I, <laughs> I almost, I almost celebrate that. Yeah. You know, um, say for example, on race week, I'll almost celebrate the fact that I, that I've done the work to, yeah. to get to race week now more so than I will even going into the race. It's yeah. more what had to be done to, to get there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, and I, that we, we were talking about running, but clearly it's applicable to just about anything, isn't it? Whether, you know, you're yeah. writing a book or trying yeah. to do yoga or strength training, and yeah. I, I kind of my big that was my big step as well. Interestingly, like five, six, seven years ago, whenever it was that the consistency and actually just now I, and I don't do events. Actually, I'm not that I'm not that motivated by events particularly. Though I, I do an occasional one, but I revel in the looking back at my diary or Strava and seeing week after week after week of a very moderate amount of exercise, not like a lot. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's the, I, I've got no gaps. And I've yeah. got no gaps, and I, and I, when I had a few weeks, that was that pleased me and made me very happy, and it reinforced yeah. my behaviour. When I had a few months ditto, and now I've got years of it going back, yeah. and there's almost no gaps in my training. Yeah. Isn't it frightening how how far, um, as you just described, a very moderate level of um, mm. training, how far it takes you when done repeatedly? I think that's the biggest yeah. shock for people is the, is how little you're asking them to do. And, 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 and I don't know if you, I, I wrote a blog actually called, um, um, consistency, why everyone wants it, but few can master it. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I wrote it as a kind of a January topical theme about, about, um, a corporate finance worker that I was mentoring. So not a runner. Okay. Um, and the, the thing I, I put to them was, was, um, little things like, um, they had a job whereby they could come in anytime really in the morning, um, because it was a kind of a lax, work environment and um i said to them well the first thing i recommend for your fitness regime is to get to work at nine o'clock every day and and they said well that's really basic and you know that's a bit embarrassing to have that as a goal and i said well do it for six weeks and then we'll call it basic and and so Mm. then then with the exercise it was like well we just want to do three days a week Mm. and they said oh well that won't be enough i want to lose weight and i want to do this and that and the other and i said well let's do the three days for six weeks and then we can we can renegotiate and at the end of that piece, um, the, the the biggest realization from that person is that is that how little had to be done as long as it was done um, repeatedly, and I yeah. that, and that still fascinates me even when I do my own training. You know? Yeah, I know. And interestingly, I, and my because I think over this period of years, I've been out and done very few long events. Never done more than I don't know. My average is something like four, four and a half, maybe five hours a week of exercise, and I often have weeks where I do quite a bit less and. I, i've noticed over the past couple of months that um, i've done a fair bit less for various other reasons i've described in my last podcast my, my wife has been ill and other things i i have done less but yeah actually i've gone out on the bike and discovered that i was just as i went just as i hadn't been out on my road bike for weeks and weeks and weeks and i went out thinking i'm gonna get this is going to be a demoralizing experience and without with minimal effort posted one of my best times that, yeah. you know, an average and i wasn't yeah and i wasn't trying because i don't often try to because you can put you know for 10 percent extra effort you don't get 10 percent increase in time you get a few no. seconds on yeah. a road bike it's not worth the pain by and large no. but yeah. i'm just enjoying yeah. being out but i was yeah. shocked at how quick i was 
Yeah. But it also reinforces that message that it's easy to end up, even on a small amounts regularly, to actually end. I was possibly have, had been overtraining a little. And yeah. I actually hadn't been giving myself enough time. And as you said right at the start, what the message for most people is just it's about progressive adaptation. You don't yeah. get fitter by doing the exercise. You get fitter with the adaptation that comes after the exercise. And Absolutely, everybody yeah, knows it's, that. And very few yeah. people manage to, um, and I certainly, was, and I'm another example, very few people manage to actually execute on that. Yeah, and I think it's, it's, um, it's so true because what happens is I'm nearly three years now where I've run every week except five, I think. And mm. um, what happens is there's, there's a specific adaptations to training, but there's then this kind of cumulative overlap. So each season now, the preseason is not as hard as it was before, you know, and, yeah. and so you're moving slightly better. And so all these sort of incremental things start to add up, which means the, you, you can perform the same level of training, but it's taken less out of you. So, so the quality of the work that you're doing is actually, is yeah. actually better, you know? And so there's this kind of, um, adding up now, having said that, you know, uh, you mentioned the Achilles, um, blog, we, we actually took some really nice, um, measurements, around that and just actually just submitted yesterday to um acsm um conference for next year and it's really interesting physiologically what happened and and yeah. it's really interesting what happened to the pain and it's really interesting what happened to the function however um the reality of it is that that is a weighted vest um every single morning right and um so this was this is part of your you got had achilles tendonitis and one of yeah. your one of your strategies to manage that yeah. was well, you were using yeah. a weighted vest and yeah. increasing the load yeah. that you were putting your and what so just describe what do you actually do with that weighted vest on are you actually going out what what exercises are you doing with that wearing that i'll go into actually all of that um just in a second but yeah. i just want to i just want to finish off one thing because i'll forget um what it was was but it's, um it's just that um while it was interesting what happened with it and 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 largely successful um can I see? Can I see a lot of the population um, doing that? No. <laughs> no. Um, and and also, you know, to tie it back to the original where this came from was was mentioning that you know I'm, I'm going to come up on three years now where where you have this cumulative adaptation, um, and it's been hard, you know. So so that's the thing. It's 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 good. It's enjoyable. It's a challenge. It's it's you know, keeps me in pretty good mental and physical health or whatever. But um it's difficult because it requires that that grind and that ability to kind of tolerate the the boredom. So um still lots to be done to figure out how to um make this a habitual way of um living for people, you know. Yeah. Um so yeah. So yeah with the exercise for the Achilles um so what I did was, again, um, was I, I started to do these eccentric um, exercises, which basically means coming up onto your toes and then um, very slowly lowering down. Um, what I learned, though, was that if you do it to a metronome, yeah, um, it's a complete game changer in terms of the effort um, that's required. And even someone with my background, we, we tend to think that, we, we, you know, we always train properly and we always know what we're doing and all this. But actually, when I started with the metronome, you realized, okay, what, what I thought was slow and controlled <laughs> in my head is not actually slow and controlled. And when I started doing it to the metronome, I was, my calf was 
you know, about to blow and that's without any weight. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, then you, you, so you start with no weight at all doing maybe say like three sets of 12, um, in the morning and then, and then you, you put on your vest and then I, I just weighed the bags the other day. So I put on two bags a week, roughly. So about a kilo and a half, um, got up close to about 30 kilos over a, sort of a 12 to 16 week, um, period. Um, and yeah, uh, with, with the graph, you can see the pain starting to come down and then the running load starting to go up, um, which is good. And, and we have some really nice muscle architecture changes as well. So the penation angle of the calf got bigger, which means basically um, when, when you, the, the bigger your angle, the more muscle fibers you can, you can pack in um, right. to a muscle um, and therefore the, the greater force output that you'll have. Um, also, the tone of the muscle. Um, improved so visually if you looked at my muscles before the start you would see that the left one was was quite toned and the right one was a bit more flaccid yeah um and we just have we have some equipment in the lab where we can actually measure that sort of tone um and so we we saw improvements in that we saw improvements in contraction speed um human body been very clever what was interesting was the the, the endurance in the bad leg was actually better than the than the good leg because obviously it had somehow compensated to adapt for the fact that i was still able to um <laughs> to run somehow you know so again yeah. the body's the body's amazing in the way that it can um find ways around limitations yeah. you know um, so, so, so that so achilles tendonitis and you, so basically you thought a calf strengthening program was yeah. a kind of now is, is there good evidence for that as a calf i mean obviously there's evidence from your yeah. study with yourself here just now but is there general yeah. evidence that that kind yeah. of calf strengthening is a really good way to go yeah the 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 only the only evidence that's compelling is is the eccentric um, training. Now, what's important is, and you know, if you've got uh, a lot of middle aged runners listening to this, what's important <laughs> is that they identify whether it's a mid portion or whether it's insertional. So yeah. if it's if it's actually down on on the bone when they palpate it, yeah. Um, what you must do is use a flat surface for your eccentrics. If you have it in the mid portion of the tendon, you can do it off the edge of a step. Okay. But if you if you do the insertional stuff off the edge of a step, you will aggravate it um, quite substantially. So, oh, okay. So that's so, presumably oh, just because yeah. you're you're get your you're, you're getting a much more you kind of your foot's getting flexed up a lot more. You get yeah. much more dorsiflexion, and that's yeah. pulling then right at that point where the Achilles yeah. tendon goes on hits the heel yeah. spur. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that's an important thing to differentiate is whether whether the person has it in the middle. In which case, either program would probably work quite well, um, yeah. or whether they they have it insertionally. In which case, you need you need to just stay on the flat, you know. But yeah, I mean, as I say, on the we've had um, the chaps from the Facebook group Run Daddy Run on before, and there's a lot of guys on there that have you know probably that middle age, Achilles tendonitis just plaguing them for months and years on end. I have a, yeah. I occasionally put up a post on a Monday, just a little injury clinic saying what's going on, how you're getting on. And the Achilles yeah. ones, and you see the old, you know, the, you see about stretching and other things. But I've not, I've not actually seen. I'm not sure I knew that actually calf strengthening, eccentric calf strengthening yeah. like that, was yeah. was perhaps as you say most compelling, the yeah. only compelling evidence. It really is, you know, the the the, the only is look at systematic reviews and and yeah. the whole lot, and, and and the only one that delivers time after time is that now nails are tough eh? to do yeah and you say and you've said this already at the start but not yeah. to underestimate your your commitment to do yeah. that day in yeah. day out yeah this is the thing you know you'll meet people and i often do in the gym and so on and 
they'll, you know, just like you say, they'll tell you about their Achilles problem and you'll ask them about <laughs> the rehab. Yeah. And they'll say, I'm doing it, you know, but like I said, even, even a guy like me who, who would have a reasonable knowledge of, of training and exercise, um, you know, when you do that metronome guided yeah. program and, and you do it every day, you will definitely get better. There is, there is almost <laughs> no such thing as a non-responder, you know, yeah, yeah. literally almost thing is not, but yeah, if so you've got a human body, it, you will respond. Yeah, you will. Um, and so, and I heard Jill Cook, um, who's, a, who's very big on tendons, um, Australian researcher, um, say that uh, even you know that, that that they get some of the toughest cases in australia um and she said that that you know that there is no non-responder it's it's probably a, a program malfunction rather than a you know <laughs> yeah, it's the software uh, yeah it's yeah, a, as yeah. i just say peter it's, it goes back to exactly as we're saying it's about behavioral psychology isn't it it's about yeah. how the hell it's not about the fact the physiology of getting people if you stuck their muscles on a in a on a you know on a rack and they were just could yeah. take them off and put them on a machine that did it they would improve yeah. it's the yeah. it's the bit at the top of the above our necks is the problem yeah uh, actually getting and, us to do yeah. it and reality is like for me now is that um is that i still you know at a slightly lower weight but i still uh morning daily yeah do that do that vest um and i will do as long as i intend to compete seriously because yeah. because basically it'll just revert if i don't <laughs> you think yeah you pull um, back so so yeah that's the reality of it you know and so you kind of have to uh choose your goals wisely i guess if you <laughs> yeah um, but you obviously you're obviously you know real measurable differences in terms of what you did but then if you're doing yeah. it, you know the lab base you say muscle architecture do you, will you biopsying your calf then no uh, we're not we going as far was, as that no, we have um, we have ultrasound in the lab, so okay. we took um, muscle thickness uh, measurements and we took uh, pination angle measurements, um, pre and post, left and right, and then we did a thing called tensomyography, which is um, you put two electrodes on the muscle and you stimulate it, and if you can imagine the top of a of a clicker pen, yep. so you've got that you've got the, the the clicker end just resting on the muscle, and then you stimulate the muscle. And the pen displaces. And so the amount the pen displaces is your maximum muscle displacement. And then the speed at which the pen d- displaces yeah. is your contraction time. And that's been okay. um, correlated with fiber type. So it's pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm thinking about it myself. I've never had any Achilles tendonitis problem, but it sounds so awesome to kind of. I've, yeah. I, what I have done is this year is ricked my calf muscle. In fact, I'm at the moment, I'm two weeks. I've just my, tore my calf muscle about three times, left yeah. and right. But I'm putting yeah. that down to, I'm not sure it's a strength thing as, um, or uh, so much as a, um, a flexibility problem. Yeah. I'm, more sus- I'm more suspicious about my hamstrings being as tight as a, um, we'll see. That's well, yeah, I mean, uh, something I do in, in the mornings that helps because I think when you're trying to compete, um, over the age of, of 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 thirty, you know, and I know people who are in their fifties will say, "Oh, it's young or whatever." But th- things that things are changing, and and um, there's a there's an app, and um, it's called um, NTC Night Training Club, and it's got um, a whole range of workouts in it. But it's got a selection of yoga ones, um, mm-hmm. and so there's a twenty minute one that I do in the mornings. And um, if I when I do that in the morning. Uh, the way I start my day in terms of walking around and and, yeah. and going training is just a different different you know it's like it's like being yeah. five years younger you know yeah um, so yeah <laughs> yeah that, uh, that's, that's actually top of my list of things which I'm failing on the consistency front is um, yoga which yeah. I have I've had on my list for several years now to get consistent yeah. at and haven't still got there yeah. but it's definitely my um, yoga serves a dual purpose as well because 
in in the you know um when i can i do a, a kind of a proper lunchtime class of it at work and um in the modern world um with the sort of always on culture and the and the busyness and so on um it settles it settles your mind and yeah. so so it's good stretching but it's also good mm. for your mind and then and then the knock on consequence of of that is that if you can calm your mind then you know there's a chance that you'll probably sleep a bit better and if you can sleep a bit better there's a chance yeah. you'll adapt to the training that you've done that day yeah. and so yeah. it becomes this self-fulfilling yeah uh, sort of thing you know and so that's again you know I, I spoke at the start about you learn things in isolation and so there was a time where i would have done yoga for the stretching and you know that's that box ticked and whatever yeah. but what you got to do is get to the place where you see how each of the component parts um fit together and then you can kind of make trade-offs about what's more or less important in a given week you know yeah yeah i think the mindfulness aspect of that is not to be underestimated and mm. there's a lot of good evidence for mindfulness across a whole lot mm. of you know whether it's mental health or physical health and as you say sleep and that sort of stress related items they're mm. incredible so and i mean the thing with the achilles as well is that the, the 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 real problem with the achilles is is that you have an achilles injury but you also have a chronic pain condition. So you end up with two, two, two problems, you know, which is okay, the injury yeah. and, and the pain. And the pain is, is what really does the, the, does the damage because the pain is confusing. It's, it's even when you're functioning well, the pain can fluctuate in a manner that doesn't match up with how you're functioning. But humans intuitively um, perceive pain as, as bad, as dangerous. And so, and so to avoid it and so what happens then is you avoid it and you decondition further mm. and so it goes round and round so yeah. i think with a lot of these injuries pain education is just as important as um the rehab program you know that's really interesting i haven't actually thought of that before and that kind of uh, thinking of it as a separate just a, you know just in the bracket a yeah. chronic pain for many yeah. of these people that are yeah. suffering that so it's really yeah um, it's a really useful distinction isn't it in terms of that that needs some specific sometimes need to be tackled in a very specific way yeah, and even just um, it's just all about how you perceive it, you know. So, so if someone said to me now, um, "Are you injured?" I'd say, "No, I'm training better than ever." But if they said, "Do you have pain?" I would say, "Yeah, every day." <laughs> so it's like, right. so it's about kind of um, separating the two things. I think there is a point where the pain becomes more meaningful. But for example, if you've got uh, pain, say it a two or three out of 10. Yeah. But you're functioning better than ever. Then you've got nothing to worry about, you know, where, so, but in, instinctively people see a pain as say, if it's two or three out of 10 as, as the precursor for something yeah. awful that's going to happen. Um, when, you know, when you start going above five, then it starts to really interfere with your function. That's a different story, but, um, it's kind of understanding that pain can fluctuate on a daily level. And it doesn't mean that it's necessarily, um, you know, going to be a, a really bad or negative uh, thing for your body, you know? Yeah. So Peter, one thing I must ask you about is um, barefoot running. And because uh, yeah. I know you'd, you'd had a, you've had a, you'd had a study recently just in the conversation um, that would had appeared online. So tell yeah. us a wee bit about that. What were you, what you were looking at there? Um, okay. So um, I'll, I'll take you back actually to where that first started was, um, when, when I did that year in Qatar in the Middle East way back, um, I developed plantar fasciitis and, um, okay. 
I, I was working out there and it was difficult to get to see physios and, and this, that and the other. Um, and I read a, an article that somebody said to me about, uh, about barefoot running. So I went to the park and I um, did a couple of barefoot runs and my plantar fasciitis disappeared. And I was amazed at this because previously when I'd had it back home, I'd you know spent loads of money on um, treatment and, and rehab. And, you know, uh, plantar fasciitis is one of the longest um injuries that a runner will have so i yeah. think it's it's sort of a uh a minimum or a median recovery time of something like um 10 weeks but 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 anywhere up to you know a, a year um that you can have it so yeah um so yeah so that was interesting so when i came back to do my phd uh we did a little study where we took the arm off a treadmill and we set up cameras and i was the coach of the athletics club at the time and we got the runners down and we got them to run at two different speeds on the treadmill with them without their shoes. And what we found was that at the slower speed, they ran with a shorter stride and a more flexed knee and ankle. Yeah. And so that study came because I was curious from what, what had happened in, in guitar. And so, uh, we published that one. And then, um, when I was in Leeds, I was treating an athlete with plantar fasciitis and not wanting to be clouded by my own, biases i proceeded in a conventional manager do, doing um various treatments that i thought were were best and we we managed to reduce the athlete's pain but as soon as they went back to running it went straight back up again so when all of our approaches failed i um brought them to a park and got them to kick off the shoes and uh we jogged for 10 or 15 minutes and we did it every second day and sure as hell um their plant fasciitis was gone again so we published that as a case report yeah um and and we're actually working on a case series on that at the moment now the new zealand study that that came out in the conversation um that one's pretty cool because um the idea for that came to me uh looking out the window one day so i was over on a research sabbatical from leeds and i was uh, working on a, a systematic review on on running injury and I looked out the window and there was a school's athletics event on and I noticed in the 100 meters that the boys were, you know, half of them at least were running without the shoes on. And uh, this was interesting to me because it was on the tartan track. And so any barefoot stuff I'd seen before um, was always a kind of a cross country or, uh, you know, any barefoot running I'd done myself was always on grass. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I didn't pay too much more attention to it. But then I noticed the longer events kicked off and still half of the boys were running um, without the shoes. So I went down and took a closer look and had a bit of a chat and teachers were kind of like, oh, yeah, it's just a Kiwi way and whatever. So I then uh, decided that I would try and find out um, how many of these boys were doing this, um, you know, for how long and what other time were they spending barefoot um, because they clearly didn't seem to care about it. So um, I designed a survey and we got it to the head teacher who um, was in charge of that event that I happened to see that day. Um, and so we got about 700 boys to fill it in. Um, and it was in that study then that we, we kind of were able to, sh what was interesting was at the, same, at the same time I was out there, I was reviewing another study, which had shown that basically all German kids were in shoes and all South African kids were without shoes. And so what was interesting was I used their method of defining um, being habitually barefoot or shod and applied it to New Zealand. And what we saw was that half of the boys in New Zealand, so somewhere in between the two schools, were um, were barefoot. Now, 
they're coming from an area of high socioeconomic status. So, so there was no, um, it certainly wasn't a financial issue, um, which would have been the kind of default thought process when comparing Germany and South Africa. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it seems to be a cultural thing because when you break it down into ethnicity, more of the Kiwi-based um, kids, whether that's uh, New Zealand European or Maori, um, are barefoot, for example, than the Asian um, population, which is quite big in Auckland. Um, so that was um, that was a study, and we're actually working on refining that study a bit at the minute, um, and we're hoping to be able to roll it out um, in, in, a, in, a, in a few more um, in a few more countries as well. If you look at the if you look at the primary the primary causes of things like plantar fasciitis, what you have is very very sudden loading rates um, when the foot comes in contact with the ground, okay. and of course in the shoes you you use a heel strike pattern. Yeah. So what you have is a very sudden deceleration at the heel. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it would make massive sense that without the shoe, you then adopt this more mid to forefoot um, strike with a sort of a more bent knee. Um, and therefore, you're no longer hammering the um, the, the plantar fascia. And I think this is a big thing that needs to feature more in 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 how science is communicated. Is that um, what I, what I don't like about um, sort of working in 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 these areas that are sort of considered somewhat controversial or, or whatever is is that the argument becomes polarized to um is it good or is it bad you know um and yeah. so it's kind of about understanding it a bit more so for example if you had um, a very reactive achilles tendinopathy yeah then the last thing i would want to do is increase the amount of plantar flexion you had um when you were running you know certainly i might use it as a as a rehab strategy later and i might think it might be good to prevent your achilles in the first place if it was stronger but at the time it would be the last thing i would do in fact i may even deliberately uh, find a cushion shoe to try and yeah. just offload it for a minute, you know. So, whereas if you, uh, you know, if you're talking about preventing plantar fasciitis, then I'd be saying, well, throw away the shoes, you know. So, I think um, <laughs> that's that's what what happens there is 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 that um, nuance is kind of um, missed out, and so then you become, you know, someone who's saying this is good and this is bad, and and it just doesn't work like that, you know. Yeah, that's right. Well, there's always, there, I say there's always trade-offs. And as you say, you know, those populations, like little things, those populations may have less plantar fasciitis. They may have a lot more troubles with Achilles tendonitis or, they, yeah, or, or all yeah. sorts of other things which can't be predicted. And it's like any, you know, it's like medicines like that all the way through or medicine is, you know, a kind of, and science. Yeah. There are always, there's, a, you know, not quite an equal and opposite reaction, but you're always making a big mistake to um, proclaim yeah. something as, um, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I, right would, I would, I would say though, um, I would say that certainly from an evolutionary perspective and certainly from the perspective, we'll say, of those boys in New Zealand, yeah, that they, they are growing up like that and they are more than capable of uh, running hard and far um, without the shoes. And, and I think that that can only be a good thing. And I think the, 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 the way their feet and their tendons and, and everything else will yeah. develop as a result of that um would, would be far better than than the likes of us over here who are who are walking around in shoes you know so um i yeah. think where the issue where the issue comes is when you've got people who've been in shoes their whole life and now yes you're talking about transitioning in the opposite direction then you need um someone who knows what they're doing that will that will encourage a slow um transition um to that if you, if you go and just do it off the bat then you get an injury and of course then it becomes 
oh, I tried it. I tried that barefoot running and it, you know, it injured me. And it's like, well, no, the sudden change in load injured you, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, you know, it's like CrossFit or whatever, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I do think that what, what we should be doing, you know, more and more is, is actually regressing to what we evolved to be able to do, whether that's in the case of diet or, or, or footwear or, or whatever. Um, yeah. You know, because we 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 did that for millennia. I mean, the first mass market running shoe was invented in 1970, which is you know not even a second in evolutionary history, really. You know, so yeah. um, so I think yeah, that that is the way the way forward. You know, um, but yeah, yeah. No, I, I've certainly I think the um, it's a relatively recent phenomenon, shoes, and the and the kind of in it. There's an awful lot of marketing and industry. Mm. Um, yes. Com, um, an industry self-interest that is driving a tremendous amount of this and including towards the barefoot market or you know you now must go for a shoe which has got a less of a drop you know you a four or five mil drop rather than an eight or ten mil drop and people are constantly getting pushed and pulled and it's about yeah. selling running you know it's about them selling products and magazines yeah. filling yeah. advertising spaces bottom line is don't change your load too quickly whatever you're doing yeah 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 yeah. Yes, i think that's probably fair that's probably the best possible advice isn't it you yeah. just go whatever you do do it damn yeah. slowly yeah. yeah go bigger shoe or smaller shoe whatever you want but do it slowly yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's absolutely fair enough um so and uh, but how about yourself what do you do now i mean obviously you've got a tendonitis thing so you have to be particularly careful I mean, in terms uh, of barefoot do you, are you just are you just a bog standard running shoe or do you, do you have no you... no no um so you know, I can run anything up to 15 miles barefoot. Um, okay, cool. the, the key is, the key is, is, um, and I think it's actually very good, uh, for my feet. I think it's actually very good for the tendon. Um, yeah. uh, it certainly strengthens it, et cetera, et cetera. What, what you can't do though, is, is take it when it's really annoyed and, you know, or, or when okay. you, when you're in the full blown stages of a, of a reactive tendinopathy and then, and then try and do it. Cause, cause, that won't work out too well, but, but, um, I think it's a really good, um, conditioning strategy. Um, I think it allows the foot to move. I think it's really good for variability, which also prevents injury. I think you're getting really, really rich sensory input, um, which, which is fantastic for, for, um, for using your legs properly. So I try and keep it in a minimum of, um, twice a week. Um, sometimes it doesn't, uh, necessarily even uh, it would suit me better sometimes to to take my runners to wherever i was uh, working and, and and run from there but but i kind of um i insist on at least getting it in once or twice a week if i'm doing a track session i'll warm up on the infield barefoot and i'll um then use shoes in terms of shoes i use uh, i have three criteria um uh comfortable um light um and cheap um because there's no there's no science to spending more or less uh, money on it actually my most recent pair are from the fashion um section of sports direct and and the the guy (laughs) when i was in there he said to me you know the running ones are upstairs and i said yeah yeah don't worry um and i i put them on and i was like you know what they're comfortable they don't brush up against my uh my achilles uh, so hard um they're light so i'll be able to feel what's going on underfoot um and transfer some of that barefoot running form into the shoes and um yeah yeah they're not going to cost me a fortune so happy day yeah that sounds perfect though as i said i probably wouldn't advise that if you're not as i say changing your training load in terms of changing your load you might not want to rush into those but no, i am no. 
I can't shop in Sports Direct because I'm a Newcastle fan, so I, yeah, I, I refuse yeah, yeah. to go in there because of yeah, my yeah. Cat, well, thanks to Mike Ashley. One of those, one of those, uh, <laughs> I, any any sports shop I go into, that's kind of the way I'm. Um, that's kind of the way I'm approaching it. I mean, ironically, you know, this is going back to the journey. You know, I spent a lot, a lot of money on um, yeah. the the big cushion structured 150 quid um, a go um, shoes when I was when I was first running, um, and also a lot a lot of money then on the physio to cope with what comes from wearing those. You know, so um, <laughs> that's an industry, so, so, isn't it? Really, yeah, all around. So, so, so the bills are um, the bills are a lot less now than they than they were before. You know, knowledge is power. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, physiotherapy as sponsored by Hoka. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, kind yeah, of that yeah, approach. Yeah, so um, yeah. the one thing I must just quickly pick up on there. You said, is there is there good evidence that var- you mentioned that variability you think helps? You, there's a good evidence that variability because this is something I've always advocated that I can I can tolerate hours on my feet out in the fells and cross and you know, trail running, and whereas I've got I've got a relatively low tolerance for road running, and it's just because I find it so attritional, and I, I think it's the lack of variability that I really notice the difference. Yeah. Now it's it's. It can be hard to design a study which conclusively says, yes. uh, you know, variability is good. However, if you look at it a different way, and we talk about um, repetitive overuse and we talk about loading and, and so on, um, it, it's just common sense that it, that it would be useful, you know. So, yeah. so you kind of have um, interdiscipline variability. So... You know, if you're a runner and you're getting out on your bike and or you 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 you're lifting some weights in the gym, and then and then I suppose within discipline variability would be that you run at different speeds and you um, run with your shoes and without your shoes and you run um, in all sorts of yeah. different ways that basically encourages um, a variety of of um, movement strategies. You know, yeah, I think that leads to a good bit of advice in terms of injury prevention and just performance for like middle-aged blokes out running. Actually, yeah. just not running the same run twice or the same run twice yeah. a week. You should always be mixing it up, and it's very easy to slip into that habit. Yeah. When you get a certain time and you're time bit yeah. time pressured, you go out yeah. and you do the same run around the same route that you always do. Yeah, and actually, you know, mixing it up is key. Yeah, and 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 hills are brilliant too because um, if, if if somebody can do a hilly run, it forces you to lift your leg, and so when you lift your leg and, and then and then bring it down on a hill, it's it's almost like a a more of a strength and conditioning session. And I have a yeah. theory that you're making better use of your muscles. So sometimes when I'm doing a talk, I'll, I'll put up the injuries that occur in, in football players and they're mainly to muscle and so on. And then I'll put up the injuries that occur in runners and they're predominantly not to muscles. They're to structures that are not really designed to absorb load. And I, and I often pose the question, what's, what, what's the difference? You know, what are they doing differently? You know? And so, Obviously, they have a lot of variability in terms of they jump, they kick, they throw, they they do all of this sort of stuff. But they also run at a variety of different um, paces and 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 accelerate and decelerate and so on. So, mm-hmm. um, I think what runners need to do is find ways of using their muscles more. And I think um, barefoot running encourages that. Um, resistance training encourages that. Running up a hill encourages that. Um, so it encourages greater yeah. use of muscle while also being encouraging variability at the same time, you know. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I kind of like, say, so yeah, like things like fartlek sessions, but sometimes I just think you need to skip around a bit and enjoy yourself. Like when yeah. you're kids playing in the playground and that's what, you know, running yeah, yeah. should be like is actually just using your whole body yeah. rather than just sort of grinding it out in this kind of repetitive yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a mindful aspect to that as well, probably in terms of just relaxing. Yeah, oh, yeah, you got to, I mean, that's what I say. If you want to 
um, you know, you need you need headspace if you want to be able to um, to run. Um, certainly, it's a very hard sport to engage in if you're if you if you're busy. Um, you can you can certainly use it as a form of exercise to kind of de-stress. But if you want to kind of um, put in some efforts or or if you're training for something, um, yeah, you need a, you need a bit of headspace for it. Yeah. yeah. Peter, listen, it's, it's been absolutely fantastic chatting to you. So many areas, and your expertise just shines through. So the first thing I must ask is that you mentioned the book. Is there any hope? You know, is that near future? Or is it kind of got way to go yet? Um, yeah. So I've I, I got a bit of a draft um, together, and um, what I'm doing at the minute is I'm going through each chapter um, with a um, an athletics. Um, journalist um who mm. i quite admire as my as my kind of editor so um it's going to be in two two parts so uh, the first part is is going to be um injury as a concept and so it will take um a number of chapters that explain why runners get injured so it'll address the reference point that i spoke about earlier um it'll address um there's a few there's a chapter in it called um before you knew what was wrong with you so basically uh-huh. talks about the role of, of healthcare practitioners and the messages they put into people's heads. Um, <laughs> we've got um, a chapter on the shoes um, and, and what that's all about. Um, got a chapter called Does It Work? It Did For Me. And that addresses that logic of, of, of oversimplifying um, things. And then the second part of the book will um, be called um, Consistency as a Concept. So what we'll have is injury as a concept where it all goes wrong. And consistency as a concept, how you can um, make it right. Um, I'd hope to have something reasonable together by next year. Yeah, oh, we look forward to it. I'm certainly, um, I, I'm, it's, it's definitely going to be on my list. Um, so you should tell us, where can we find you online, social media? Where are the kind of places um, people can catch up with you? Yeah, so um, the blog is, is just peterfrancis.blog. Um, and the first page you'll see is actually a list to all of the the running blogs, so they're easy to, to, to pick out whichever ones you want to read. Um, and then my uh, Twitter is at Peter Francis IE, I think, uh, or underscore IE, I think. I think it might be underscore uh, IE. I have the top yeah, of my yeah. head. I'd have to check. Yeah, I'll, I'll, put, yeah. I'll make sure there's a link in the show note for all these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's where I, the Twitter is where I really do the most of my, all the blogs get released there. Any research articles we publish get released there. Any of the other stuff we're doing at the university, you know, yeah. I, I put it all out there. So that's probably the easiest uh, way to follow. You can sign up. There's a way of signing up on the blog as well if, if you want to get a notification in your emails of yeah. when a new blog comes out or whatever. I try to do that every two weeks. So there should be a piece or other every, every couple of weeks. There's a great little library there and I wholeheartedly recommend it to everybody um, as a really incredible, res- it's a really great resource and um, uh, very worthwhile. So Peter, thank, thank you so much for taking the time. No worries at all. Okay, well, thanks for listening. You can find the full show notes at www.blocology.io. You can also sign up for the newsletter, the Journal of Blocology at www.blocology.io forward slash journal. Sign up and I'll make sure that I send you the Healthy Bloke Action Plan. It would be enormously helpful if you've enjoyed the show, if you've got anything out of it, if you could pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review or just leave a rating, that would be incredibly helpful. And any feedback is very welcome. And so you can leave comments, send email, or make contact via Twitter, Facebook, and the usual social media channels, all of which can be found at blocology.io. Thanks again. Thanks again.